0: Very good morning to you. This is James Ross with Money Talk. It is 17 minutes past eight. Very pleased to welcome our guests uh, to the show. And first of all, Andrew Ferris, who is CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. A very good morning to you, Andrew.
1: Good morning indeed.
0: And let's say good morning and hello to Mark Mickelson, Chairman of Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Good morning, Mark. Uh, good morning, James, and good early morning, Andrew. <laughs> nice to have you both on the show as ever. Um, I guess, you know, records being hit all around the world. Uh, the Dow passing 39,000, the Nikkei passing 39,000, the S and SP 500 at record highs, uh, European markets up there as well. Uh, Andrew, you know, does this come? as a surprise is this Nvidia pushing it all along or is this just or was this just gonna happen anyway
1: you know James I'm, I'm absolutely appalled because clearly have been all these years with my fifty three years of experience in the markets I have been reading obviously their own newspaper reports because <laughs> up to about a month ago there has been a growing disillusionment about a one in terms of being able to monetize it in terms of being able to push forward its capabilities uh, of much greater, let's say, fluidity and liquidity, and now Nvidia comes and tells us that all oh, potentially this is wrong, because people can't buy enough chips. Well, you know, I, I really, I'm going to put the Nvidia numbers on the side. I'm not saying for one moment they are wrong or, or not or not correct. And I want to go back and really find out what the rest of the market is thinking mm. about A1. Mm. Because if it is thinking the way I thought it was thinking, then there is something wrong. If it is not thinking the way I was thinking, then something is wrong with me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not playing clever now and not giving an answer. But uh, let's say this is not going to turn me around and say, hey, artificial intelligence is here to stay. You know, we're all going to die or all going to live. Clearly, individual points the way and so on. No, not yet.
0: Mark, what would you think? Is it AI that's driving the markets to these highs? Or were we going to get there anyway?
2: Well, we might have gotten there anyway. And I I don't disagree with with Andrew. But certainly, AI is a a force. I deal with with companies and, and, and companies increasingly are using AI. You know, some employees and others see it as a threat. But I was just at a seminar yesterday, for example, with a variety of of executives from various industries and almost all of them were talking about using it in much more constructive ways and and actually, in some cases, requiring that generative AI be used mm-hmm. to increase competitiveness. Is this going to last? Are they going to run into trouble doing this? Very possibly, but at the same time, it's it's clearly here to stay. And one anecdote of a good friend who's been in Japan for a long time, just was staying near uh, Haneda Airport. He was in a, uh, in a hotel, and the whole front desk was manned by robots. There you
0: go. Yeah, there's the yeah. future. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Japan, perhaps not so far behind yeah, yeah. after all. But
0: I suppose that, you know, the, the, the market in the U.S. particularly does seem to be at a high at the moment for, for various reasons. And I guess the question is, you know, will that continue? Andrew, what, your thoughts on that, will it continue for the rest of the year?
1: Well, c- clearly, uh, the markets can make up their mind because on one hand, the Fed cannot be clearer. Hello? Read my lips. We ain't no cutting. I repeat that slowly in bad English. We ain't no cutting yet. <laughs> the markets simply turn to ignore that or they look very much forward to a cut when. Okay, so yes, the S&P is stuck to, to, you know, higher level than, than ever against the background. Where the economy is growing quite well, and the Fed is saying inflation is not where we want it to be. You know, I'm going to side with the Fed, unfortunately.
2: Mark? Yeah, no, I I I think that's right. And I wanna mention the Japanese stock market as well. It's it's not you know, they compare it to nineteen eighty nine, it's really quite different than it was in nineteen eighty nine. First of all, the Japanese equity market is quite quite a lot uh less of a percentage of the world equity markets than it was before. Obviously the yen plays an important part, foreign investment is much greater, but what it does reflect a little bit is the Change in investment instead of just the big banks and and others increase in foreign investment and also in some of the companies like fast retailing, like one of the big couple of the restaurant groups and so on are helping to fuel this. Is this going to go on for a long time? I can't tell you. Maybe Andrew can. But at the same time, it, it sort of it does reflect changes that are going on at least. Question is though, is is it just the sum of the of the weak
0: yen and uh, uh, investors yeah. moving away from China and looking for something which is fairly attractive yeah. and solid? And you know, Japan, I suppose, has has uh, uh, that record uh,
2: over the years. Well, it 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 doesn't help, and you know, it helps certainly. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I talk to people in Japan, including people even in embassies and so on. They're, they're having to, to sort of uh, keep the doors closed. There are so many, pe- so many investors, not just financial investors, but others looking at Japan, whether this makes sense or not. It's partly because of China and, and China plus one, but also because Japan's the yen's, yens changed and, and there are other attractive factors. And it's, of course, reliable. You know, it's not going to be gigantic, but it certainly is maybe a little different than it was a few years ago.
0: Andrew, the BOJ doesn't seem to be able to make up its mind what it's going to do, though, does it? It seems to be uh, hovering, for want of a better word.
1: I'm a huge friend of the BOJ, precisely, because a lot of the stuff they have done was completely off the wall. I mean, it was the only <laughs> central bank in the world that was dying to have a more inflation. Read my lips. Yeah. More inflation the actual inflation rate in, in Japan is well over the 2%. It, let's say it's 2.3-something. It's okay, their target is 2%. So I'm trying to think, hang on a minute, since the uh, inflation is uh, now slightly above their target, or was it slightly below their target, what do they actually want? The answer is, is they want a 2% that they feel is going to stay there for a long time period i'll say that again slowly they want to be able to stay there for a long time period and hence they're looking very carefully at the overall growth of the economy and also money wage increases so they are refusing to begin to increase interest rates okay because they're saying that the economy and the capacity of the economy to generate the kind of wages that will give them a flat inflation isn't yet there now when you begin to disentangle that a lot of it is contradictory i have to admit and uh, I, I rather like this because they are completely on a different uh, on a different wavelength.
0: I mean, maybe that's the thing about Japan. Japan is contradictory in many ways at many levels, isn't it? And that's just how how they operate. Uh, turning to um, China, Andrew, for a second. Um, obviously, we've seen some rate cuts uh, on the mainland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what what's going to be the impact of those? Do you think? Uh, are we going to see some kind of recovery uh, in China?
1: Well, okay. Why are they cutting interest rates? Because they want the banks to increase spending, sorry, to increase lending. Mm -hmm. Lending to whom? Of course, primarily to the property sector. Now, the property sector consists of two sectors. Consists of the property developers, and the last thing they're going to do is to borrow money right now. So can we please forget it? And the other part is, let's call them the retail buyers. Okay, the retail buyers are in a market which is consistently falling. Okay, so now I'm not quite sure, by making the loans cheaper, this is going to encourage them to borrow more money to buy properties on a falling market. The question with all this is, is I'm not being clever at all, neither it's a criticism of Chinese policy making because a lot of other central banks have done that. You try to cure symptoms. No, you should try to cure causes, okay? The symptoms of some deeper causes, of course, that property prices are coming down. So simply addressing it by cutting interest rates, I'm not quite sure it really addresses the cause of this coming down, as opposed to simply treating the symptoms. Hence, I rather like the fact that they carry on cutting interest rates. They are going against completely the grain of everybody else, including (laughs) that of Japan. And also, having cut interest rates in a very peculiar manner, they ended up with a slightly inverted yield curve. Now, this is a little bit of a misnomer, okay? But let's say the longer-term lending rates are lower than the shorter-term ones. And the Americans, of course, an inverted yield curve is always an anathema. It's bad news for everything else. Not in the case of China, because, of course, they are in a completely different market. It is interesting, but I'm still curious to see whether this really addresses the reason why property prices are coming down.
2: Absolutely, and I think that's right. I think it's partly also perception that they were a little bit behind the curve, a little bit on... On taking action, so there's taking action. I agree with Andrew. It's very uncertain, and of course, this is one of the worries. We did a we did a critical issues uh, review as we always do at the end of the year, and one of the one of the worries, one of the big risks as far as companies were concerned, was uh, was the Chinese financial and economic situation because not knowing which direction it was going to go, and of course, their expectations had been quite high for a long time, and. It's still not terrible but it's it's certainly not what they thought it would be
0: what about the impact on hong kong how are you seeing that at the moment mark are we going to see any uh, light at the end of the
2: tunnel for hong kong uh i hope so but at the same time you, you know it's been the the new year holidays were a little disappointing right mm-hmm. in the sense that we got we got visitors in but they weren't spending as much uh the economy isn't quite growing at at this pace and you know and. And major institutions are dropping their forecasts, including the government. So you know, I'm not sure if we're going to see it. I I, you know, I hope we get some some relief, but I I think it's still problematic going forward.
0: Andrew, are you positive about Hong Kong at the moment?
1: Well, actually. I'm not, but not because I decided I dislike Hong Kong. It's been my home for 37 years. It is because the the interest rate policy of Hong Kong has already been decided by Mr. Powell. You know, I stopped looking at the poor Hong Kong Monetary Authority because interest rates are not coming down in Hong Kong. My estimate is that the Fed will begin to cut interest rates June or July. So I'm afraid I have to wait for half a year to tell you yes things look better now but in terms of interest rate in terms of the property market no they don't and this has nothing to do with Paul San, nothing to do with mr lin nothing to do with the administration of hong kong that are quite limited within a range i want to see now the budget what the budget might have because at least fiscal policy in hong kong is not necessarily predicated what the fed is doing that's going to be quite interesting
0: Yeah, well, I guess we'll wait with interest to see what Paul Chan's budget uh, has to offer. Uh, It is next Wednesday. And Paul Chan, of course, will be in at RTHK uh, this time next Friday to talk about it. Uh, Well, thanks very much, gents, for coming in today. Andrew Ferris, CEO uh, of uh, Ecognosis Advisory, and Mark Mickelson. Joining us to discuss the Nikkei 225 is Neil Newman, investment strategist at japanmacro.com. Good morning, Neil.
3: Oh, good morning, James.
0: Uh, Nice to have you on the show. Uh, Why has it taken uh, so long for the Nikkei 225 to clear its uh, 1989 high when uh, other major markets have been performing uh, much higher?
3: Well, there really was a very large repair job that had to be done, so, you know, it's referred to as the three lost decades. When we had low uh, low growth in Japan, it was a reversal of the the growth story post war. Your twin bubbles basically emerged during the eighties in the equity and the property markets. This burst, and the subsequent crash basically led to a banking crisis, and it basically it, investors went elsewhere to um, to actually um, to, to, to to invest their money. And then the repair really started um, only about ten years ago with um, with Abenomics, which really adjusts a, a whole host of problems. Youth unemployment being one of the big one of the big ones, and you know bringing Japan back onto the stage. Um, and it's had some some periods of interest that maybe lasted a year or two, but it really wasn't until investors started to look at alternative destinations in uh, in Asia away from from, from mm. China. as it became more sort of you know politically more. Uh, challenging to invest. That, uh, did Japan come back up and see a new dawn? It's not just, China, not just Japan, but obviously um, alternative destinations, also interesting ones being India, uh, and then around Asia, uh, Indonesia, obviously Vietnam, um, and possibly Korea is going to come back up again. But this really kicked it off just over a year ago. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, the Japanese market's in a very different shape.
0: And you've been tracking the, the markets for a very long time. Uh, we talked to, before the the show uh, back to 1983 when the, the Nikkei was at uh, around 7,000, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. So it was around eight 8,000, around that level when I kicked off my career. So I've seen it to go from 8,000 to 39,000 twice, with 2, 000, 2009 being the trough again. Um, so all the way up, all the way down, all the way up again. And now we need to work out how to navigate the uh, the next stage of the market. Is it?
0: I mean, is it going to go up some more? Do you think? Uh, w- what is the trajectory? Uh, you know, do you think uh, there are more good things, or is it going to plateau?
3: I think, for the time being, the uh, the forces that were driving the market um, certainly over the past year uh, year and a half um, are still basically in place. So there is potential for more. Um, those really being obviously investors looking for um, for destinations for money into a very deep, very broad market and relatively inexpensive. Um, Japanese firms are generally in very good shape, having sort of saved their way out of a crisis. Um, they're, they're, they're rich with cash. Um, they're seeing profit expansion now. They are able to pay, pay pay rises. This year's pay rises are going to be quite strong. And they're also rewarding shareholders a lot more through many, many reforms over the past 10 years. Most recent and the reforms led by the Tokyo Stock Exchange. So that's all very good. What could be the next push, really, actually, strangely, um, would be if the Bank of Japan does go ahead and change its policy and we see a stronger yen. Because Japan imports so much of its energy needs and so much of its raw materials... Um, as the prices come down, the input prices for companies, they could see further corporate profit expansion. Mm. And in, certainly in the next uh, next period or so, this would be very good for, um, for corporate profits.
0: We were talking a, a little bit earlier on with Andrew and Mark uh, about whether or not perhaps this uh, rise in Japan is really uh, built uh, off the fact of, uh, fact of uh, there being such a weak yen at the moment and uh, that move away from China. Uh, do you hold um, any uh, views on that subject?
3: I think they're, they're both very valid catalysts, um, the, the week yen certainly is a, a window of opportunity for investors which will close, um, I mean anybody visiting Japan can see it's an incredibly cheap place to, to, to visit and to, to invest um, and this will I think normalise over time and it probably is going to be led by, uh, it's going to be triggered by the Bank of Japan change in policy. Um, but certainly those, those two are, are still catalysts but the fundamentals um, in Japan from uh, an investor's point of view is improving quite dramatically. Um, so I think there will be momentum that will build from, uh, from that. And this will emerge over the next year or so. I mean, is
0: that something that local investors, you know, believe in as well? Obviously, a lot of this seems to have been driven by foreign investors, but uh, are locals believing in the market in the same way?
3: Well, local investors so far have been really sellers of, of their domestic uh, markets and still continuing to buy U.S. stocks in India. Um, the question is: Is that does that mean they're yet to be convinced? And I think certainly part of the selling going on is probably a lot of stale holdings, um, because it has taken such a long time um, for the markets to recover, and nobody likes to take a loss. So I imagine that there is certainly a lot of stale holdings mm. coming out. But there are there are measures going into place um, this year which makes um, investing in Japanese equities, or oh, investing in equities and bonds and that more attractive for um, domestic investors. And I think the fact that the Nikkei 225 Now is in this new trading territory um, will be some kind of comfort for many of the uh, of the domestic investors who really have been sitting on the sidelines of this wondering, is it real? Mm. Um, And now we can see it is real. So as long as the market (laughs) stays up. I think that will encourage investment from uh, from local uh, investors, retail and institutional.
0: Finally, Neil, I mean, how does this sit alongside the news that Japan has lost its crown as the uh, world's third largest largest economy to Germany, and that uh, Japan has now slipped into recession?
3: Well, you, you know, you can't deny the data, but I think what we have to keep in mind is firstly the GDP reads which really led to this um, the press flurry on on the uh, shrinking economy is actually a preliminary one and it can be can be quite um, inaccurate um, that is revised and I think we see the numbers on the 11th of March so that could change the other thing of course remember this is US dollar based uh, comparisons and of course the yen is extremely weak so if the yen strengthens uh, by whatever measure Um, perhaps from from the Bank of Japan, then this changes uh, quite quite rapidly. And the third thing really, GDP doesn't capture a lot of the activity of Japanese companies overseas. Mm -hmm. So if you're buying Japanese products, if you're in America or in Europe or or wherever you are, quite often these things have never been anywhere near Japan, they are made and, and sold locally. And Japan's activity overseas is enormous, and that really isn't captured in it. So it's not really a true measure of the operating environment for Japanese companies.
0: Well, we will watch with interest. Neil Newman is investment strategist at japanmacro.com. Neil,